0: This episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast is brought to you by the Bronto Marketing Platform, a flexible yet powerful software that helps you grow revenue, save time, and optimize marketing resources. If you're interested in making sophisticated email marketing easy, visit Bronto.com. That's B R O N T O.com. You spend time and money putting a new product in front of your audience, but the simplistic challenge with the product launch is that you first need to get eyeballs on it and then convince people to buy it. But that's not a straightforward or simple process, but there are strategies and tactics that can help simplify the process and amplify your product launch awareness. Welcome inside the Commerce Marketer Podcast Studio. I'm your host, Greg Zakwis. And today we're going to learn from one retailer, their strategy for executing product launches. Welcome to the show, Luke Peters, CEO and founder of New Air Appliances and the host of the recently launched Page One podcast. Welcome to the show, Luke. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Greg. Looking
1: forward to it. Thrilled to be
0: here and uh, excited to talk to you. That's a first. Huh. Can you give us, Luke, uh, a little background about who New Air Appliances is so that we can get a better sense of your product launch strategy and how it applies to them, what your typical customer looks like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, 17 years in business, started New Air uh, 2002 and at the beginning we were a direct-to-consumer company so we were selling other people's products and then along the way started sourcing and and working directly with factories and bringing on the newer brand and then in 2012 uh, made a, a really big pivot for the company where we went from a 100 direct to consumer to a model where we're selling to the large retailers so now we're focused only on our brand used to sell three or four hundred other brands, and now we're you know slowly started just focusing on our brand, kind of cut that number way down, and then eventually it's now at zero. And so our categories we're selling to say a Home Depot, a Wayfair, and Amazon, Walmart, and a bunch all the other big box retailers you could think about, and we're selling fun appliances like wine coolers, beer coolers, uh, portable ice makers, portable air conditioners, evaporative coolers and fans, and then some other uh, kitchen appliances, cigar humidors. So a lot of compact appliances and just in into fun categories uh, like the ones I talked about.
0: Very cool. And how about your uh, typical customer?
1: Yep. So the typical customer is uh, likely a homeowner, 35 to 65, kind of like a pretty common demo, I guess. And it it is going to range from certain categories and obviously a homeowner because a lot of these products are going into the kitchen and now we're doing some more outdoor appliances as well. Although, you know, that demo is going to go. Definitely, apartment dwellers are going to be interested in these um, products because a lot of them are portable. So, but the key customer is going to be that homeowner couple, 35, 65.
0: So, in 2012, you mentioned you made that switch out of exclusively D2C. Why did you guys make that switch into selling into retailers?
1: Yep. Great question. So, because I guess just because the other big box stores started dominating the organic search rankings before they weren't players in the rankings. So, we would easily get page one rankings, and then it became harder to win page one Google rankings. Uh, Amazon was kind of always there, you know, since right around just 2000 or so, they've just been getting better and better and better. But then right around 2010 to 12, the other retailers, the Home Depot's, the Targets, the Walmarts, they all started kind of playing in the space and winning the search rankings. And so what happened is ad costs also started going up and customer acquisition costs started increasing. And so it just became, you know, just kind of a math equation. Customer retention was a little more difficult. And so it made more sense to sell to the retailers who were really good at all of those, all of the above that I just listed. And they do all of that. They acquire the customer. We provide an amazing product and after service support. And um, it's kind of a win-win. Is so that scary for you guys making that transition? Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, every, it's always scary when you're in the middle of it. <laughs> you're going from 100% to 100% of your business is focused around you know, one category. And then it was also, you know, we'd grown every single year a lot. And then we're kind of flat for a year, which is just unusual for us. And then you're investing a lot of money into a new business because you, know, you put people on it and a business plan around it. And we brought in new products just for that to test it. So first, we, first I created another business to do the test. So there's money involved there. You know you're investing, and then I found out that it went really well. And, and uh, these retailers already knew about us, and they're very receptive to us. and And then it was great. But you know, during that six months prior, maybe even a, you know six to nine months prior, because you have to go source new product, and you're investing money in the idea, and then you're building inventory without any sales. And then six months afterwards, you could kind of see everything work you could kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. So, but for a period of a year, you know, definitely was, uh, you know, scary, just like any other big business change might be.
0: Yeah, I'm sure, but that's that's cool, thanks for sharing. Luke, I believe you are the, uh, the very first microbiologist I've had on the show, so congrats on setting a new bar. Yep. So explain to me, was microbiology just not as fun as it sounds, or like what made you jump from microbiology to business?
1: Yeah, no, actually, yeah, microbiology is a super fun degree, but I always warn people, you know, who are going into the natural sciences. If you're going to get a degree, you, you know, in in the natural sciences, you have to get a PhD or an MD. Kind of, in my view. In my view, um, you can get a master's, but you might as well go all the way and get the PhD, and then then your career options are a lot better. But a um, bachelor's doesn't get you very far. Unlike, say, if you were an engineer, a bachelor's can get you really far. If you're, you know, an accountant, accounting degree or finance degree. So it's a tough one to just finish off. But at the same time, it is a very Honestly, it's a practical degree. You do learn. You just learn a lot about life and uh, how diseases are caused, and all the bacteria and viruses uh, involved in that. It it is actually like it's a fascinating degree. A lot more interesting, in my opinion, than just like a straight biology degree. But at the same time, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family, working for the family donut shop, delivering newspapers, and then had um, my own pool business when I went to school. So I paid for college with the pool business. So basically. Getting the, you know, working as a hazardous waste scientist, yeah, it was fulfilling, you know, we're helping the environment, helping the water supply. But at the same time, it was, you know, just packed with government regulations and just kind of a little <laughs> bit, it was just, yeah, it was just a little stiff, honestly. <laughs> so it wasn't the most exciting <laughs> job. So that's, uh, that, that kind of propelled me to look for something else.
0: Very cool. And I, I think a lot of people can relate to this. I'm one of these people that I've worked uh, 10,000 jobs seemingly in my, in my life. So I would have guests on or I'd talk to people. I'm like, oh, you know, I used to sell art. Oh, I used to do door-to-door sales. I used to work in a donut shop, Luke. Did you know that?
1: No, oh, wow. You would
0: have no way of knowing that. Wow. I mean, it was it was high school, but I used to make donuts.
1: Oh, man, did we share some of the same... Yeah, that, and that was the time I did it. So it was uh, it's funny. You know, I hated it when I did it, but looking back at it, it was kind of fun.
0: Yeah, I had a good time. So it wasn't a full-time thing. For, obviously, I was in high school and I was doing it. So it was like, you know, you wake up four in the morning on a weekend, which is less fun, but exactly, it was spot duty, right? It was, it was money coming in. So, yeah. So you're
1: flipping donuts uh, in the 400 degree fryer, just like I was. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, beauty, a thing of beauty, right? It smelled good. It smelled, <laughs> <laughs> well, for how long <laughs> after a while, you're like, man, <laughs> you never want to eat a donut again.
0: It's that first hour. So here's the thing. I'm, I don't have a huge sweet tooth, but I do love donuts. I still yeah. love them.
1: Oh, that's cool. And you know, a good donut now. Uh, you would think so. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's let's uh, let's get back to topic here. My bad. So we're here to talk about product launches. So you mentioned the range of products that you guys have. Look, how many product launches do you guys normally go through on a yearly basis?
1: Yep. Good question. Because there's a lot involved in that. So we only have a little over you know, 120 SKUs, which is increasing rapidly. So for a number of reasons, tariffs included, but also just because we're really working hard on growing the brand and we've added just a really just built up our team over the last two years and invested a lot there, we're launching about 50 a year. So we're almost doubling or almost increasing our catalog by 50% every single year. So lots of product launches versus in the past when maybe it was 10 SKUs a year. So that'll give you a scale. So that that would, uh, you know, it's approximately one per week. So is the increase,
0: is that more just a, a factor of working with big box retailers where you need to always have something new or is there a more strategic decision behind Launching more now than you have traditionally in the past.
1: No, I mean it's it's not that our products are pretty evergreen for you know many years. They don't they don't go in and out of fashion, which is uh, we're fortunate. So you know the inventory can just can roll over to the next year if need be. But it's more a function of as the company has grown, we need to be more innovative. So we have to come up with even better products every year. We have a just a more strategic team than we've had in the past. So more people going to Asia, to the factories, to the fairs. And so just more involvement there. So essentially just more ability to bring in products and then the flip side or the other one. So that's part one and part two is there's no easier way to reset your pricing than to launch a new SKU, honestly. So (laughs) most, most companies are doing that. I'm going to tell you because nobody wants a price increase right now. So it's really hard on existing SKUs to maintain, you know, the margins that you had pre-tariff so that's, that's kind of the world we live in.
0: Let's start from a very simplistic and very high level view of this. So launching a product, tons of things that go into that. There's moving piece in the end, There's a strategy that's, that's carved out on paper and things like that. So we're going to get into some of that stuff. If you had to look at, say a very high level view of that, can you walk us through maybe bullet points of kind of the key steps that you guys take when you do launch a product?
1: Okay. So we'll, I guess like I'll go quick and I'll tell you the high points and then you can um, tell me, you know, if you wanted to dive into any of the areas, but sure. obviously there's work ahead of time, you know, coming up with the SKU and, and planning out a product roadmap. So we have all of that in place, having a product roadmap, number one thing that you have to do. So you have to have it all planned out why you're actually bringing in these products, why they matter to the business, when they're going to come in, how they're related to your existing. So all that out of the way now, you know, the inventory is coming. And then the question is, you know, how do you, how does one think about launching and i mean the easiest thing to think about is how do you get people's eyeballs on the product in multiple places as often or as in many places as possible kind of in a nutshell that's you can almost just leave it at there and then dive into all the different ways right you just you get eyeballs on different channels too many people just focus on the one channel they say okay everybody just goes to amazon to shop i mean that's true that it is the starting place for most product Uh, searches but there's plenty happening elsewhere and the journey to buying a product of we have high consideration products so they're you know average order value about 200 bucks or so so people are not just waking up and buying it they're thinking about it they're talking to their friends they're going on their social channels so just think of all the different touch points that one might look at before they even go to amazon it could be months so that's why you would think of how you can show up in, in as many of those channels as possible
0: all right, we're going to talk about some of those channels. You're right, high consideration, right? So we're going to get into product reviews as well. At least I hope we get into product reviews because that's yep. certainly what I consider products. I'm always looking. I was looking at them ten minutes before we jumped on the call today for a, for something as well. So which I've been considering for a year, which seems ridiculous. Wow, there uh, you go. It's not that expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just haven't pulled the plug on it yet. You need something to push you over the top. You mentioned as many places, many eyeballs on it, as many places as possible. When you guys do launch products, do you, Carry the same products on your website that you do in some of the big box retailers like Home Depot and Lowe's, or do you have to have separate SKUs on your site versus what you offer to them?
1: Yeah, and that's a great question. We carry them all. Okay. And and the thing is, you know, a lot of companies think that the retailers are going to, you know, be bothered by that, but we don't compete on price, but we want to maintain the best content and the reviews and everything on our website because not the retailers don't always give you an opportunity to put the absolute best content on their sites. So there's a lot of reasons for kind of maintaining that brand image. Very good.
0: So you guys are, when you go for the product launch, you're across the board and everything, but it sounds like the site is where you can convey the most amount of information on that particular product. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Although, you know, you you may, you're not going to get as many views on that product often you would on the larger retailers.
0: What type of marketing channels are you doing then? So I'm, I'm assuming you're doing paid search. I'm assuming you're doing probably email marketing. I'm assu- to current customers, letting me know there's new products. I'm assuming you're doing social, uh, which you talked about. Can you ex- kind of explain or break down your mix there? Is it you know, spread across evenly across the different channels, uh, content marketing, whatever it might be. Can you kind of talk us through like your marketing stack, if you will?
1: 100%. Okay, so uh, we do all of the above, which I'll tell you in a in, but the wrinkle that we add in is we also do influencer marketing. Okay. And kind of kind of to that point, I actually started up another company called uh Retail Band just for that. Not not for influencer, but just because what we find is when we launch a product, a lot of our competitors are not doing the same thing. They're just putting it up on Home Depot and hoping. So, quickly, here's all the different channels. So, so you have to you have to think of we can break it into three. You, you have the Amazon channel, you have the Everybody, all the other retailers, we call it our commerce, retailer commerce. So the home depots, Lowe's, Wayfares, and then you have your own direct to consumer channel on the own direct to consumer. Of course you're going to do, you have to have a strong email platform and a, and a, a large email list, hopefully, and an engaged list. And that's a great place to, I mean, email's still probably one of the highest engagement and best places to send out announcements and launch products and, and get reviews started with your email. And then we are doing paid search and we're not super aggressive um, with our website. We don't need to be aggressive actually because what happens is when you're selling into all the other retailers, so let's go over to the other guys that are commerce, you know, the Home Depots, Wayfarers, Lowe's, Walmarts, they're doing their own paid search as well. So once you have the, so, so you launch a product up over there, they're doing their own paid search. And the main focus really is how do you drive reviews onto those, you know, onto your own product and onto those retailers. So review strategy is a huge deal and then on amazon they have their advertising platform obviously and so you have to kind of roll out products a little bit different there and spend a lot on advertising and what's happened what's interesting is on all these other retailers they're all coming up with their own advertising platforms so on Wayfair and home depot guess what <laughs> you're going to be sinking more money into advertising these these guys are smart and they're going to be um, kind of eating up some of that margin So we do all of those things. So it's advertising one way or another, you know, paid search, but there's so many different ways, Facebook, whatever you want to, you know, whatever you're really good at. And then the final pillar would be that we do influencer marketing on our products. So we run campaigns, we get the products in the hands of influencers and they make YouTube videos and other content for other social channels. So back to the beginning, when I talked about eyeballs in as many places, We really like the YouTube channel for our category, so that's um, one that we really focus on, but it's done with third-party content.
0: Is it purely eyeballs that the influencers are able to to bring to those videos that you guys find so valuable?
1: Yeah, good good question. So the distinction is who's giving the information. See, if the brand is giving the information and making the video, it's less relevant to a customer. If someone they follow and trust is doing it and, and most of the times, I mean, some of these influencers, you know, I mean, they're getting products for free. They're disclosing that obviously, but they do the review in a very trustful way because they have an audience and they want to keep that audience and they want to keep their integrity. So it's all about trust and having somebody other than you talk about the product essentially is, is what it boils down to.
0: We've had a podcast covering influencers exclusively here. I'm I'm
1: always curious about when
0: I talk to different retailers, whether it's at a conference or just kind of BS it in uh, through email or something, I'm always curious about developing a list of influencers, right? So from you guys, like what do you do? And are you Googling home appliance uh, category, like influencers? How, what's your process for finding a list of influencers and and how you work with them?
1: Okay, that's a good question. So when we started, we were literally just going onto YouTube because, first of all, I chose YouTube over Instagram personally because you know I kind of come from the old school days of SEO, and YouTube is kind of the new SEO, and it's evergreen video lives there forever. So I personally like it for that for for our high consideration products. I like it better than Instagram. If you're selling an impulse purchase, I could see Instagram being really good. So anyway, starting with that. So, you know, in the in the early days, yeah, we would just go on YouTube and we have we were really good at reporting so in s- systems and reporting and we would have a team doing it. Now what we do is we are using some softwares that automate this process and we have even remote teams now that are working on it. So we're able to really leverage scale and uh, cost efficiencies in doing that and and so it makes it really worthwhile for us and and, and another reason why I kind of you know, kind of created that other company around it because even if somebody does it in-house, they can't do it as good as us with our reporting and then as cheap as we can, even if we're doing it for them. So that that's kind of what we've brought into it. But essentially, you know, th- there's different software packages that'll essentially take the, a lot of the guesswork out of it, kind of like a search engine of influencers is the easiest way to explain it.
0: Interesting. And then when you want to reach out to them, do you, I'm always curious about this. You just reach out to them from a direct message on the social platform they are working on, or do you guys work through an agency or whatever? I don't know if the software you're using has like a message portal in there, but how do you reach out to a a influencer?
1: Yeah, no, perfect. Yeah. You could do, you you could just direct message them. We'll often have their email addresses. And then you can also run contests where you, or not contests, but kind of like bid opportunities where you say, hey, you know, looking for 30 influencers on this type of product and then maybe a lot more than 30 are gonna kind of join that opportunity and then, you know, we will get to decide who to work with.
0: And you, you use influencers for every product launch or do you have uh, a set category of SKUs that you find to be more valuable than others in?
1: We do it for every single product launch and we do between 10 and 30 influencers.
0: Very good. And how about content for your own site? I know you said that YouTube lives forever, a good SEO, right? You have the, the credibility there. Do you guys do a lot of content on your own site as well, whether that's videos, blogging, reposting, or embedding the YouTube videos that were on there, or do you just kind of leave the content to the outside forces?
1: Yeah, we do a lot for our own site. I'm definitely looking to integrate more. We're creating all this content and just ways to more easily integrate that into our site which, which we're doing but not as probably not as well as we ultimately want where we want to be but um as far as the professional content definitely doing that ourselves and we and we pride ourselves i mean my goal was to create the best in class uh content and product experience so in our category our, our aim is to provide the best content on newware.com and i think we've done you know we're, we're definitely there and we, we get inspiration from companies like vernado and Dyson and they're they're doing amazing jobs on, on their I mean there's so many others but I'm I'm just picking a couple right in the product space. They do a really great job on content. And so uh you know we'll try to stack ourselves against them and and have a high a lofty goal to go after. And we have uh some I mean just some amazing we've gone through so many different outsourced photographers and until we've you know kind of where we are now with a really a a great partner and same with video. And then we do a lot of it internally as well. I mean we have our own you know creative team. But yeah, there's we're creating you know our own content writers and um, graphic designers and all of that type of stuff in house because we have to create not only we have to do the you know the, all the website but remember we got to do all the packaging and and that can be quite a bit of work when you're launching fifty SKUs a year and all the uh, product manuals so you can just think about everything that kind of goes along or you know that goes into our product launch.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. You mentioned at the SEO value of YouTube as well. And I'm I'm curious if you guys have found something on the YouTube side that makes a particular video more SEO worthy than others. And I'm thinking things like, and I've had this conversation with Vat19's owner where they do exclusive, almost exclusively video content on on YouTube as, as their marketing channel. But he mentioned the importance of having a title that is exactly what YouTube wants. That's going to generate things. If you find titles to be more effective, content tags, the uh, detailed descriptions in the videos, anything you might be able to share with the audience, they might
1: be able to pick up on. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I mean, okay, so there's, I, I had split it into two parts. So there is what it takes to be successful on YouTube. So they've changed the rules occasionally, you know, just like any other search engine. And I think they like the long um, format videos. So stuff that's, you know, ten minutes plus. So you'll often find a lot of videos right over ten minutes but there's, you know, engagement metrics that are going into it. So actually the funny thing is we don't really have to worry about learning that, you know, the YouTube influencer has to worry about that. So that's, that's on them. If they, if they want to be good, they've, they've got to know how to produce a really good video and they don't want us telling them what to do, by the way. So these influencers, I mean, they, they're running their own businesses. They're not in the business of really taking too much direction from brands. I mean, I guess if, you know, If you're working with maybe a higher level influencer who's picking up a big paycheck, but the way we work is we're working with micro influencers, and they're not. You know, they might have audiences, um, subscriber lists of you know ten to one hundred thousand in the different social channels, Instagram, YouTube, and so they're they're big, but they're not massive, and they really want to be authentic. So they're not really taking. I mean, they're not. You're not telling them how to make a video, but what? So to answer your question there are certain things that you can do. You know, if we're gonna work together, we need the product to show up in the first, you know, minute, if we're gonna work together, we need a title to be something, you know, that reflects these keywords, And then we need there to be an offer and something that the customer can be engaged in and click on and get to our website. So those are the types of things we're talking about. So to your question, what we focus on is essentially keywords because they're doing all the rest of the work is because they understand YouTube. But um, what I like is I like to go into niche keywords. So, you know, your two word keyword phrase is often going to be hard to show up. And if you get into a third keyword in there, then you're going to have a much better opportunity for showing up and even a fourth. So get some tail keywords, get really, um, just really grind on the SEO and understand uh, where you can rank on, look at the competition and say, okay, hey, we want to, can can we have these four? And you're not going to get it every time because, you know, they're going to have ultimate creative decision there. But. That's how we would think about uh, creating videos that are going to show up in search. I would just focus on, I would really uh, niche down. Good insights. For a
0: specific product, so we'll just skew one, do you work with one influencer launching that specific product or do you spread that out across multiple influencers?
1: Yep. So we're spreading that. So we're doing the 10 to 30 different influencers. Wow. Wow. Yeah, if it's if it's expensive, then we'll get a a series, and and actually, we want to move more that direction to where we have more relationships and we're working longer with them. At the be- these are all things we're learning about, you know. Instead of just kind of one offs, you want to really it took enough time to work with that influencer, so you really want to build out the relationship. But yeah, working with quite a few of them. Very cool. You mentioned something before
0: about retailers having their own ad platforms. Obviously, Amazon makes tons of of money on theirs, but other ones as well. What kind of challenge is that presented for you guys? Cause I, I would imagine like every other retailer who's working, who's selling on these platforms that you have a budget, right? You just, you just don't have unlimited pockets there to, to dump money. And so that budget's being spread across multiple channels, whether it's influencers, email, whatever, have you guys had to go back and kind of tweak other marketing channels, either positively or negatively based on the increase in cost of advertising products on, on these, all these different ad platforms?
1: Yeah, and again, a good question. So, yes, for Amazon, because there's there's is like <laughs> returning less than ever. It just is. It's so competitive. But what happens is with the other ones are less competitive. People don't know about them, so not everybody's on it. And people on these other platforms, it's a different customer profile. Everybody's on Amazon. You're kind of competing with the whole world, and everybody understands the Amazon playbook. Whereas that's not the case with all with the other retailers out there. So that's it's a huge difference as far as the number that you're going up against versus Amazon where it's kind of the whole world and, and they've driven down the ROI and, and it's, you know, it's just, it's a big mechanism for Amazon kind of keeping margin.
0: Do you ever foresee an instance where you'll just not advertise on Amazon like that? Or do you think you have to?
1: No, I mean, you have to, especially <laughs> if you product launches. Yeah. I've heard,
0: I've heard that answer before.
1: Yeah, you have to. <laughs> But, you know, what people are doing is they're, I, th- I forget what it's called, but Amazon is now letting you track like inbound traffic that you send into Amazon. So you can kind of understand the ROI. So in the, in, you know, in the old days, you, if you directed Facebook ads there, there wouldn't be a way for you to actually understand conversion rates and all of that. And Amazon is, is putting together, is putting that together, I believe. So, you know, it's but it's good. It's going to force Amazon to make, Their system better as well i mean there's there's still an roi what happens is when people launch a product they have to realize the rois may not be positive at the beginning and that's where people are spending ad dollars they're they're literally going in there dumping tons of money at a loss for a couple of months to rank organically then they back off the spend essentially that's kind of the amazon launch playbook so just got to have enough margin in in your product and make sure that you know when you launch it you can absorb those things and and it's tough in a in a tariff world where the tariffs keep going up. So this is, this is the challenge that, you know, I mean, everybody with the consumer electronics in right now.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Let's talk about reviews because we mentioned that briefly before, but I I definitely want to talk about reviews because I know reviews from a social proof standpoint, extremely powerful. We have, you know, different reports, you can find different numbers, but 65% of consumers do look at them before they make a purchase. 85% trust them more than personal recommendations problem with a brand new product is exactly that. You don't have reviews because it's a new product. So I know when I'm shopping for something, I'm certainly looking at reviews, especially if it has no reviews, I don't discount it, but I do a lot more searching at that point. You know, it makes me kind of take pause there. How do you guys handle the review portion of product launches? And that could be from how do you sell product that has no reviews? How do you aggregate reviews in a quicker than normal fashion? Like, What, what is your str- overall strategy when it comes to product reviews for new products?
1: Yeah, so and it goes along with all of our um, product launch plans. So the product launch plan is focused on email, focused on ad, ad dollars to kind of increase the rank of the product listing so that, you know, when products have more sales, they're going to rank higher and then of course you have to get reviews because if you don't have reviews what's going to happen is you're going to be sending ad dollars to a product and it's going to convert at a lower rate you're really kind of wasting money until you get at least you know three to five reviews at least at the beginning and um, what we do is we aim for 30. so depending on the price of the product you know depending on on how aggressive we're able to get on advertising and uh, work with influencers we have you know just throughout the process our goal is to get up to 30 reviews initially to get that product going so all of those things we talked about earlier are kind of tied into increasing the velocity in sales and then when you have enough sales you're you're going to start getting reviews and just making sure that you know your email sequences are set up you know with your email provider and that you're converting to to reviews and uh you're talking to customers if things didn't go well so those are absolutely, it's super important. And if you don't, like I said, at the beginning, if you don't have at least a couple of reviews, um, you're going to be kind of spinning your wheels if you're directing a lot of ad dollars to the SKU. So how do you get some of those first couple?
0: I, I, you mentioned 30 and I'm going back to the influencers, that tend to 30. I, I don't know. I just don't know the ins and outs of it. Are the influencers allowed to leave reviews because they technically have the product or is that frowned upon?
1: No, they can, but you know what you need is you need verified reviews as well. So it's going to depend with every platform. So definitely you can get some with the influencers, but with Amazon you might have to like kind of pay to play with with uh, their vine, their Vine platform, which is you know you basically give them free products. All the other retailers have that as well. It can just get expensive. So there's there's it's better if you can drive them through sales. But yeah, it's you're right. It's not it's not easy to hit that thirty point, but. Between all of like that, that's an area we definitely pride ourselves on the um, product launch strategy. And that's an area that, you know, kind of with all of those different strategies together, we're able to, to get 30 reviews, usually like in about a month. Have you found anything to be more successful than others with trying to
0: generate those reviews? Or is it just a nature of, hey, we just got to get people to buy the products and then you know, our X percent of people that buy the products that typically reviews, right? It's more of a numbers game. Do you, is there anything specific from a tactical standpoint you guys have been able to do to either accelerate that or to generate more reviews or is it just a numbers game?
1: No, it's more than a numbers game. I mean, cause, cause what you do is obviously you want to convert it. So that, that part's a numbers game, just have a really good conversion rate, like really track those sales to reviews, offer an incentive, offer, you know, whatever whatever incentive you're able to do, you know, free giveaway or whatever you can do on your end to generate a review. And, and it's definitely frowned upon to to ask for a positive review <laughs> about that. And even, <laughs> and even the audience, honestly, even the audience, especially like millennials, they don't like that. So you have to stay out of that type of conversation. It's just give us, you know, appreciate your honest review. I mean, those, some of those four star detailed reviews are the best ones actually or three stars. So it's good to have that mix in your, uh, review bunch, but we will definitely get some with the influencers. So that's, that gives us a leg up right there, a huge leg up. One other thing we do is we, um, when we're bringing product in on container, we'll often, and I know small products can do this, but ours are bigger. And we'll often air freight over a small amount so that we can precede the product launch strategy with products. So we, we get stuff here a couple of weeks earlier, every week, time is money. When you're buying inventory, you want to have that process started quick. So by the time the full container arrives, we're able to have a little bit of inventory to sell, plus we're able to get product out to influencers, so on and so forth. So, you know, there's a a dollar investment to ship over heavier product. And then uh, definitely take advantage of Amazon Vine. I mean, and they have something called early reviewer program. So there there's a few things. I mean over there you pay for everything. So it's just <laughs> you basically, yeah, you're just you're just investing in the product startup, but kind of, you know, there, there's a different strategy than Home Depot and the others. Um, there's a they have the same type of early review programs or find a way to syndicate reviews over from your own website, which is uh, cheaper and easier.
0: So you obviously have this plan knocked down to where you're you're very comfortable with it now looking back over say the last 5 10 years, I don't know whatever the time frame is realistic or makes sense for you. How many iterations has this launch strategy gone through?
1: So this launch strategy is actually two years old, a little over two. Okay. Just happened when I brought in a really talented VP of marketing. And the first thing we talked about was let's build an influencer program. We probably thought I was crazy because we're selling appliances. <laughs> so, and we did that. And then that really drove, honestly, that drove the launch, the product launch process. But I mean, he, he's so good and he built out the team. And we've been doing it for two years. And how many iterations? Probably, you know, I mean, like maybe two or three, you know, and they're not major, but two or three bigger ones and a lot of smaller ones. But most of it is um still even a work in progress. You just you just learn so much every time you do one. And now we're kind of having a a fun debate about how many influencers we should get because we've seen better results. Like on one product, I think we got like 80 influencers and this thing took off like crazy. And so we kind of have little wagers about, hey. You know this how come you know we're only get ten over here and it's not selling this quickly at the beginning? Is that because of the number of influencers or is it the product? you can never you know it's not a great way to kind of make a hypothesis on it, but I mean, you can at least make a few decisions and then test them later on, but those are the types of things we're thinking about now,
0: so how do you guys handle that internally when you do have say a product launch that you look at it and go, this is gonna be a great product, it's gonna be a great launch. We're gonna to sell tons of these things you're obviously stocking up on inventory and you go through working with influencers and the strategy is just falling short for whatever reason, right? It could be influencer driven. It just could be, they'll come in next month, right? The sales just aren't coming in right now. How do you guys handle that situation internally? Do you hold the conversation with the influencer to gauge feedback? Do you just kind of wait and see? Do you look at other aspects? Is there anything you might be able to share with the audience there?
1: Yeah. I mean, Look, we're we're learning too, you know? So not every one of our products takes off. Uh, and it's not just up to the influencers and the launch. You could execute the perfect launch and it doesn't take off because there isn't a good product market fit. It's not priced right. It's a competitive category. There There's so many variables that you could do everything right and it still isn't. But it's I'm sure it's gonna do better than it would have if you didn't do these things. Because mo- what most people do is they just put it up on a retailer and wait. I mean, on Amazon, they don't. That's the crazy kind of dual world we live in here is like on Amazon, they market it like crazy. And then they go to Home Depot and just put it up there. <laughs> and then they just wait <laughs> and like, wait a minute. <laughs> Cause it's harder on Home Depot. They don't give you all these tools. It's like, wait a minute, you gotta think the same way. But to your question, anybody who's launching a lot of SKUs is taking a risk, you know, just like we are, and you're gonna sit on some inventory. It's a challenge, but I think how you have to look at it is, you know, the better planning you do up front and the better reporting you build. So we, we've even just recently rebuilt you know, all of our reporting, which is pretty cool. I mean, if any of your listeners are, you know, they can, they can contact me afterwards and I'm happy to kind of chop out, you know, our sales data, and, but just show them how we do our reporting. So happy to send that over. But yeah, we've, we've done that. Cause I think a lot of it boils down to really good reporting that creates really good accountability and also that your team understands what the objectives and goals are. So they're not just doing things that don't matter.
0: Very cool. And I, I hope some of the listeners do take you up on that because I think that's that would be something really cool to see you know, if this is of interest to you. So uh, I, I appreciate the offer. Now, from an influencer standpoint, Luke, if you would like to pay to sponsor this episode of the podcast, talk to me, feel free. <laughs> so this might touch, uh, I don't know, maybe it touches something close to the heart. Maybe it's never happened, but have you ever launched a product and the first two, three v- reviews came in and they were negative? No, maybe not ones, but they were just, you know, not the fours and fives or something, you know, maybe it was a two. I don't know what, maybe this is the first question. What do you consider a bad review? Is it three and below? Is it two and below? Yeah. And then have you ever launched one? The first couple came in, they weren't good. And maybe that settled out and evened off over time. But if you get those first couple, I mean, I I could imagine that being just completely detrimental to the uh, potential success of the product. If that's happened, how'd you deal with it?
1: Yeah. I mean, and it has not, not like that, not the first two, but let's say a couple in the first 10, which still isn't good for us because these are products we're testing. We're not just like dropping something on the market. So there shouldn't be huge surprises. And, uh, we've had a couple of those and some of them were because there was certain behavior of the product that we didn't think was super important to the customer, but then all of a sudden they're, downrating it because of that still may be a great product like for example maybe it's a certain uh, you know beverage cooler that had multiple zones meaning you know one temperature it, it, one temperature on one zone one temperature on another and they were off by a couple degrees because it was hard you know depending on the uh, the home temperature it'd be hard to get it precisely to say 37 and 55 maybe it was you know 39 and 53 and it wouldn't happen in every time but it's just because of different variables in the environment and people didn't want that you know they're paying a lot of money and i I totally get it by the way so we would have to go back and say well i mean it met our qc it's it's still doing what it needs to do but the customer has a higher standard and we'd have to go back and improve it and it would hurt sales you know if a product falls below four stars you know it's not it's not good and ours have a harder time actually because you know they're big they can get damaged in shipping and there could be after service care so it's not just about the product it's not like we're shipping a you know a wi-fi router that's never going to get damaged and it's you know people are just rating it on just the performance of the product and the ui maybe so this is different you know we could have a great product but then they could have a bad dealing with customer service you know because there's a lot of touches that happens with our product. so it has happened and then uh how do we repair it is we actually can relaunch so sometimes we'll relaunch a SKU. we'll uh, we'll, I mean, same UPC and SKU, but we'll actually go redo the process again to generate more reviews. Maybe after we've fixed certain characteristics of the product, the next batch comes in. First one was fine, you know, QC it QC'd out, but it was just like, we just learned something new from the customer. And then the next one comes in and then you know, that's fixed and we'll try to get more reviews. So getting more reviews is one solution. And then solution number two would just be a totally new product launch. If there was something really wrong with the SKU, I can't remember... Any, the, any recent skew that we've done that with though. But yeah, I mean, if somebody launches a skew and your first three reviews are negative, it's probably not a good sign. <laughs> you're not, it, it, it's going to be tough to come back from.
0: Well, you're right about the size of the appliance too, because no matter what I'm buying, I I, I immediately go to like the one, two, and three star reviews. And I look at those first because- I mean, how many times do you go there and you're like, oh, you know, the review is a one star and it's like, oh, you know, it came and the box was ripped and you know, it, something out of your hand, it, that's a shipper or there's just something, again, it's not the product related, it's all those other things on the outside that, but I mean, that's part of the peril of online shopping is the entire buying process is the experience. Yep. You get the review from the the whole experience and that can sometimes be out of your control. So it's interesting. If you look back at your process and your launch strategy for again last 5 10 years and you look at where it sits now you're obviously happy with it because that's where it sits you're always evolving but if you look at is there any one thing you can look back of look back at probably more in a recent memory about your old strategy that you said you know you look at it now and go what the hell are we thinking doing that or was there anything along that something you can You know, tangibly relate to and say, don't know why we were doing that lesson learned, and let's never do that again.
1: Yeah. No, I can give you two good things to, you know, for everybody to think about. So the first one is, you know, you go back far enough and it's just we didn't have any of really a strategy. We thought we did. So, you know, in the moment, you always think you have a strategy. So that's that one. It's going from like not a very good strategy to one that brings in, you know, advertising and reviews and influencers and content and uh, email. And product reviews, you know, which we talked about, which are so important. Like actually having a strategy and having accountability within your team. So it going from nothing to having that—that's that's number one. And then the next step is okay. Then you kind of create this stuff. But I think what we found out is it wasn't uniform. If you're only doing ten a year, it's probably easy to keep track of it. But if you're doing more than that, then you got to have really good reporting and make sure that the team really is uniform on it. That there's you know monthly. Team meetings and and reporting and accountability and, and a structure where every single time something launches, the same things are being done and they're all discussed instead of looking back and saying, wait a minute, you know, how come we invested so little in this one and so much in this one? Why is it not uniform? Why are we not doing the same thing? And understanding that you you made a huge investment in inventory. So it's worth a, uh, you know, a dollar investment to launch this SKU. So those are probably like the two different uh, stages and and really, you know, we're getting through that second one. You know, we're building in more reporting and structures, and it's better for the team because then it's clear for everybody. We already had great reporting, but now it's like kind of taking it to the next level.
0: No, oh, very cool. I appreciate the uh, the extra examples there too. So I'm sure that's something that uh, that people will be able to relate to. I want to circle back on something you mentioned earlier about email because you mentioned talk about ad platforms, and then you said hey, email is a really good channel to use for launches. When you guys do use email for product launches, are you sending it to, traditionally, are you sending it to your entire audience? Are you doing any sort of segmenting to only send it to, or maybe exclude people that recently bought the current or the older model of it? Or is it just, hey, let's send it to everyone, tell their friends, whatever it might be. How are you guys using email when it comes to product launches?
1: Yeah. And, and I... I wish I could get deeper into there, but I got I got some gurus here that are running all the uh, segmentation and the back end of it. But I think in general there is some segmentation, but probably more on engagement and uh, metrics like that. So probably most of the list is is going to be getting it on a on a product launch, because even if somebody bought something similar, it makes honestly that makes them more sense. And if they bought something totally different, they're still a customer of ours. So you you sure. don't really know. And, and kind of back to the beginning, you know, about our customer demo, if they're buying a heater, you know, they may still want a wine cooler. There's, it's not that, they're not opting out of that. So it's probably more, more of the segmentation is done more based on the consumer behaviors when they're on the site. And, and that's as far as like emails being sent out after they've left the site down the line, that's kind of where more of the segmentation is, is, is occurring.
0: Very good. And Luke, you may have answered this two questions ago with just kind of lessons you learned from your own experience, but I'll ask it just in case there's something else that that pops in your, your mind. What would you say when you look at other companies doing product launches, the biggest mistake that retailers make when they do launch a new product?
1: Not being aggressive enough, I think is the biggest mistake. They are doing it back to Amazon. It's like two different worlds we're in right now. They're doing it on Amazon, but the ones that are succeeding are doing it. So people aren't being aggressive enough. They're, you know, a container can be, I mean, I'm just putting out, I mean, they're going to, it's going to vary, but it could be 25,000 to well over a hundred thousand dollars for maybe one SKU that a company is bringing in and I'm and many times that for bigger companies, right? So they're, you're bringing in this big investment and you know, it's, it's totally worth investing 10 or even 25% of that initial inventory investment to make sure that you generate velocity. So I think not being aggressive enough in all of those areas we talked about, Getting the reviews, understanding email, understanding advertising, understanding influencer market, marketing.
0: Luke, what did I neglect to ask you today?
1: You went all over. You went from reviews. I mean, we talked focused on the one subject, but went into all the different uh, domains of it. So did a did a good job, Greg.
0: I am traditionally all over the place when it comes to these things. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I've got a, I've got notes over here. So I had uh, a question on this is more just kind of personal. So when you guys moved from D to C into selling into retailers like Home Depot, those Home Depot is getting shouts out here because it's top of mind for us. Yeah. Go Home Depot. When you first sold there, how long did it take you to walk into Home Depot and buy one of your own products?
1: Okay. So we're mostly focused selling online. So we we do have some products in Home Depot, not in all their stores, just kind of in uh small number here on the west coast okay but no, i've gone into all the retailers you know in bed bath and beyond we have we have a, a skew there so for sure that's like you know i'm taking a picture with my little one next to it yeah that's that that's what you do when, when you have a skew in there
0: so is it like when the store opened the first day you need your products in there or did you wait a couple hours so when it seems sketch
1: no it was. It, it's all <laughs> it, yeah, i know exactly like standing outside in a tent no it was uh you know that one was different because that one so the the more recent one the fun one was we were on a vacation in palm desert and uh, went over to check out the competition in Lowe's because we want to break into that one. So check out all the, and, and Palm Desert is in uh, Southern California. It's like, uh, you know, it's it's by Palm Springs, if, if that rings yep. the bell, yep. And uh, so we checked out Lowe's, but then went to a Bed Bath & Beyond and and one of our evaporative coolers was there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's you know it's 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 a great moment to see your product in store. And, and you know, the majority of the business is focused on the online channels through those retailers. But of course we have the partnerships in store. With many of them as well
0: yeah that must be a really cool experience being able to go in there and, and just see something tangible yep people shopping knowing it. to me that would be really cool
1: yeah that's awesome
0: so luke I, i've got a few questions for you here before we kind of get into those I, I alluded during the intro that you guys recently launched a page one podcast can you tell the audience just a little bit about the podcast
1: sure so the podcast it's it's really focused in an area So I launched that in addition to this new business retail band that I briefly told you. And what it is, is we're talking just about, mainly about, say, Home Depot, Wayfair, Lowe's, Walmart, how to succeed on those retailers. Because everybody's talking about Amazon or they're talking about direct-to-consumer. But like I said, kind of the third leg of the stool is what we call our commerce, retail commerce. So selling online in all of those other retailers besides Amazon and direct-to-consumer And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's very, very niche. Doesn't seem to be, I mean, no one's really talking about it. And, uh, so there's, there's just a a ton of fun subjects to get into.
0: Very good. Very good. So definitely check that out. Page one podcast. I'm sure we'll have something in the show notes about that as well. So, uh, you can always reference it there. Uh, Luke, you got a couple minutes. I know we're top of the hour here. No one else can really see that because, you know, we're here, but, uh, pre-recorded, but you got a couple minutes for me. Absolutely. Awesome. You look back, you're an entrepreneur. What's the one piece of advice you give to your younger self?
1: Oh man, that's a, uh, build a better team quicker. Yeah. Yeah. You have a great team around you. It's, it makes life so much easier and, and, uh, just gives you the ability to scale quicker.
0: Very good. Are you a, a prime member? I am. Yep. All and, right. Are you an inbox zero type of person?
1: Oh gosh, that's a great question. I, I was, I actually really worked on my time management this year. I'm not inbox zero right now though. I got to admit, I got about, I get it down to about 10 a day and And, uh, you know, we can get into those reasons if you want, but, but yeah, I, uh, I was, and it was, that, that was such a a a proud moment of mine to see inbox zero.
0: You know, I'm just going to randomly send you emails from now on just so you always have that one there. I know
1: I know, I tried it's hard, but email can become the repository where you kind of keep your like 10 things to do for the next day. Yeah, And that's what it's turned into for me.
0: Yeah. I know the answer because you've mentioned it a couple times during the episode, but for anyone that maybe did not pick up on it, do you say niche or niche?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's not like I'm French or whatever, wherever the background comes from, but I think I thought niche is the way to pronounce the word. So I call, I say niche. I say niche. So it probably is niche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't do very well in English in high school. So, or college.
0: All right. This is a, this is a, a one that's very close to my heart. Luke is, uh, is wind chill and heat index a thing, or are those temperatures the temperature?
1: No, those are those are a thing. I mean, they're not the. I mean, I guess if you're, they're what you're supposedly experiencing. How about that? Right, which would make it the temperature, right? No, the temperature. I mean, if it's if it's a hundred, but I, yeah. you know, the. I mean, you're
0: a in- biologist, so this is probably the wrong person to get into this argument with. Yeah. But <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I say uh, no.
0: you <laughs> <feel> like bacteria <laughs> needs to grow at X temperature. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So go ahead. I, I interrupted you there.
1: No, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, perceptions are reality, I guess. So it, I mean, your reality might be the heat index, but it's really, if it's only a hundred degrees, it's only a hundred degrees. But if there's extra humidity, then they'll say it's, you know, it feels like it's 115. I, I still go with the temperature is the temperature.
0: Okay. Fair enough. If yep. we ever get a beer together one day. We'll yeah. have this conversation. Love to. All right. We're going to switch to the, the food portion, the, uh, the questions here. You're in, uh, Orange County. You yep. don't have to give a give away your, your home address or anything, but what's your favorite restaurant in, in Orange County or, or your general area?
1: Oh, that, oh, okay. Good question. So I have two. So right across the street from my work, uh, you know, we're on a street called Catella in Cyprus and there's Curry House. So if you like Japanese curry, that place is the bomb. And then down to walking distance still is a place called Terrigo, which is just kind of like a fun family atmosphere for, uh you know, chicken bowls, chicken and rice.
0: Very cool. Do you drink coffee? And if so, how do you take it?
1: Okay. So yeah, I grind it um, every morning. Oh man. that That's funny you ask that because I actually put maple syrup in my coffee because I just like maple syrup. So everybody makes fun of me, but a little maple syrup and a little bit of cream, of course, you know, a little bit of sugar and a little cream is fine as well. If, if I'm uh, not at the house,
0: do you put maple syrup on spaghetti?
1: <laughs> no, but if you put it on uh, bacon or sausage, it's really good.
0: Yes, I could, I I could attest to that. Yep. Yes, yep. So it's funny. So this is this is somewhat humorous. My, I drink coffee black. I also grind my own, uh, the beans in the morning. Mm-hmm. My wife does not. So there was some point she uses a, some sort of creamer, and at, at one point, or she uses, a, I'm sorry, agave. She does use some sort of creamer too, yeah. but she uses agave instead of sugar. And at one point, we were out of it, and. She had nothing at home. And I said to her, I said, Why don't you just put some syrup in it? And she looked at me like I had two heads. And I'm like, It's it's sweet. It's sugar. You're yeah. gonna get the same result from it. Yeah. Which I I can't remember if she did it or not, but I don't think that's overly weird.
1: No, I think there's like I, I forget what the index is. It ha- it's an index of like how quickly the sweetener turns into a carbohydrate or a, a simple sugar in your body, like a kind of like a uh what do you say it? Um, I, f- I forget the the terminology, but anyways, agave is really good at not converting over to it, it. You know, it's good for your blood sugar essentially. So that's why a lot of people use agave. By the way, same thing with maple syrup. Is that right? Yeah. Versus versus just like you know putting sugar in there.
0: I'm unknowingly smarter than I than I thought. There you was. go. I don't know if I'm smart in yeah. the right things or not. I mean, sugar might not be the right thing, but yeah. Uh, but what the hell, I'll take it. All right, oh, two more for you. Is uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? No.
1: <laughs> No, a hot dog's not a sandwich. That's, a, that's why a, it's not? Just, well, it's a, it's a hot dog because they, you know, they don't even know what a hot dog is anywhere else in the world for the most part, right? So I think a hot dog is just, it's, it's a, man, I don't know. I, I, I just a call thing. a hot dog a hot dog.
0: There you go. Fair enough. All right. Last one for you. Is brunch overrated?
1: No, absolutely not. Brunch is, uh, we should do more of it. Love brunch. <laughs> love brunch.
0: So what what is it about brunch that you love the most?
1: Um, I think the best part about brunch brunch well for brunch you make it a destination you know it could be a family destination whereas you know family breakfast is fun but when you go to brunch you know you're going to be hanging out for an hour and a half and you're just sitting down you're in no rush uh you know you go back three times so i love it brunch is brunch is great
0: i'm going to do like a a poll on the street one day and just ask this question to wait waiters and waitresses and see if they love brunch i wonder if they will have a different
1: uh, I don't know. They probably—they might
0: not. They might think it's low. It's easy, low maintenance, or whatever. Yeah, they but, probably get bigger uh,
1: tips. It's usually you know more expensive, so be interesting.
0: No, it's definitely more expensive. Get some tipsy people maybe too, so that might help. Yeah, well, they that's might true. Help them. They might—they might love brunch, <laughs>
1: the champagne brunch.
0: <laughs> Luke, any questions for me today?
1: Oh man, no, you asked some some great questions. Um, I don't. You know what? One question is just tell me about how your podcast is going and how, you know, just because mine is on the newer side and just kind of what you found to make it more successful for you?
0: Uh, well, success will be a relative term. So mm-hmm. we'll just, we'll caveat with that. So far it's going well. I mean, we're we're over two years now, which is uh, which is crazy. So is. I'll give you a couple of pieces of advice that were given to me, which I found to, to be true. Consistency is key. So if you're publishing once a week, publish once a week. If you're publishing once every two weeks, like we do, publish once every two weeks. So still so consistency is key. I was told that, for the first year, you're going to feel like no one's listening whatsoever. And mm. that is also true. But I was also told to just plug through it because people are, and it takes time, right? It's, it's like a product launch, right? You got to have your own strategy for it as well. So yep. so I would pass those pieces of advice to you because I, I believe it's true. I was also told that editing would be your least favorite part of anything you do. And since I do everything soup the nuts, I will attest to oh, wow. uh, editing is being the worst part. Yep. As well, so hopefully, you know you can outsource those things pretty cheap. But I would say if you do it yourself, you might want to outsource it. Yeah, or have I'm, do, I'm outsourcing
1: it. it. I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to automate everything. I'm trying to just like walk into the studio, and uh, I mean, I obviously do prep work, but yeah, no, that that's great. And I have heard that you know nobody listens for the first year, which is discouraging. But but at the same time, I know how the content industry works, and it, it's going to be a it, you know podcasts are great assets down the line. So. So the one thing
0: for uh, transcription too, this is something that I recently started dabbling with as mm-hmm. well, but uh, we're talking about Amazon. So if you use, we could talk offline about some of this stuff, but some people yeah. that, that like podcasting might might be listening to this as well. So I use a, a website called Auphonic for like post-production after I edit it for gain and leveling and all those things. And they yeah. have an option there for transcription, which you have to, you would have to plug in some sort of audible service. And Amazon Web Services is one of those they have a transcribe feature i think google has one as well so if you have an aws account you can just sync that and it's pretty good i mean it's like all transcription it's not perfect but you talk about content perspective if you want the thing transcribed you get an hour free a month so i'm not not sure what your podcast schedule is but after that it's like 0.007 cents a minute so really for a 60 minute episode would cost you about a buck to do yeah which is super cheap from a a transcription standpoint and you can even edit it before you export it if you want. So, uh, so that's something that I recently came across and I'm I'm playing around with a little bit, but for a buck an episode, you know, a 60 minute episode, it's a no brainer. Oh
1: yeah. We work with AWS. So for sure. I'm gonna look into that. Yeah. Lots, lots to learn at the beginning.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we'll touch base offline about this, not rather than boring people, but, uh, but, uh, I'll send you over kind of what I use and you know awesome. questions there but overall it's going well for us you know it's content it's good and uh i'm enjoying the conversations when i can actually hold my own so
1: yeah no well you do a great job here so you move you move things along quickly which is which is fun
0: we're now like over an hour into this thing so i don't know how quickly I moved well in. from question to question but- <laughs> it keeps me talking less, which is always a good thing. So no one wants to hear from me. It's funny. So Luke, we'll have contact info in the episode description for people that want to reach out to. I know you made the offer before. Uh, how about verbally? If someone does want to reach out, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? The company, spill it out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So probably two ways. So uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just luke peters and send me a message actually it's just easier versus uh, you know standard requests and i'm happy to help and connect with people or at the new business uh, website retailband.com just do luke at RetailBand, and uh email me there
0: very cool and how about the uh the website your domain
1: so the website is so main company new air and dot com. you can see all our cool appliances the other website, retailband.com, and then the podcast, the page one podcast with the number one in there.
0: Excellent. And again, we'll have links in the episode description, but always nice. Luke, thanks very much for your time today. To those listening, especially our listener of the week, Jerry from Charlotte. If you want to be the listener of the week, let me know if you tune in. And if you're interested in telling your marketing story, I'd love to hear from you as well. Until next time, have a great day and be kind to one another.